chill or be chilled? Hey, everybody. Welcome to <laughs> I thought about it. It didn't work. What was that? It's the tagline for the movie. Okay. Well, it works for the movie. It doesn't work for this. It That's why I started laughing. I'll do it over again. Son of a bitch. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Remarried. Remarried. Where we talk about some of our top episodes from the last year or so. And ask the question, do they still hold up? Hello, everybody. I'm Ashley. And I'm Travis. (laughs) And today we are once again talking about Tales from the Hood. Now, this lands at what? Number six? Look at my... You say that with a question mark, but you're the one (laughs) Look at my list here. One, two, three, four, five. No, this is number five. Wow. So we're getting into the nitty gritty now. I guess. Well, I mean... We're halfway. Yeah, these are going to be the most popular episodes, so... It's strange how that happened. Like, I know I've brought this up before, but I think it's really weird that the most popular episodes are the ones from season one. Well, they've had more time out there. Yeah, you said that last time. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it's just it's just funny to me. This was one that I remember being very adamant that we cover. I know that in the first few episodes or so, we had brought it up and I was like, oh, don't worry, we're covering it. And yeah, I was really, really excited to be able to talk about it. But this one, this one kind of had, this was, I, I would say in our year of recording, this was the first time you and ever, or this episode in particular was the first time you and I had run into some contention <laughs> with each other recording. And that's because this is not one of your favorite films. No, it's not. And I just, I remember we sat down to record and you just were not feeling it in any way. And it's not like there's any particular reason you hate the movie. I mean, you don't even hate the movie for that matter. You were just like, I don't know. I don't know what to talk about. I don't really care for it. I don't know what to say, but I mean, and it ended up, and it's funny, just funny to me that it's become one of our most popular episodes. Yeah. Well, my views don't necessarily reflect the views of everyone else. This is just, I don't know. I just don't, this is not one of my favorite movies. That's, I don't know. It's weird. I feel like there's, I don't know. The plot, the plot's fine. The story's fine. I feel like they just give away too much, right? How do you mean? For instance, they went to such an effort, uh, like in the Crazy K storyline, to hide the faces of his three assailants. Right. That as soon as three people show up and you can't <laughs> see their faces, you know it's the three guys in the mortuary. Right. You know what I mean? It's just, I don't, there's no there's no mystery to it, I guess. And I'm, I'm the guy that likes a, a good, straightforward movie, but this, like, they kind of give everything away right up front to me. It, and in all three stories, they kind of give it away up front. Well, I feel like you said that last time, but as I, you know, I, I think I had brought it up that I had watched this on VHS. So, and I was a kid. So that the fact that it was those three guys didn't, It didn't register to me. I mean, I don't know. I'm a kid, so, you know, it just wasn't picking up on that. But you didn't see it well into adulthood. Right, right. I I feel like it's one of those movies that it doesn't hurt to have the nostalgia there to enjoy it as an adult. I think... I think it's almost necessary to have that nostalgia attached to it. And it's, I don't know. I mean, there's some really good performances in here. Uh, Clarence Williams III, he's good in everything. Mm-hmm. He's just a great actor. And uh, Greer. I can't remember his whole name. <laughs> 
and Greer. That's that's a surprise. David Ellen Greer, yeah, for the guy. record. That guy. Um, always known for being a comedic actor. I mean, not just on In Living Color. I think every other thing I've seen him in has been a comedy of some sort. You know, and he's usually kind of just goofy. Yeah, it's funny because I had grown up watching In Living Color. My mom and I watched that together. And so that's what I knew him as. And then, of course, he has the part of Carl in Tales from the Hood and legitimately made me afraid of him. And then I think not long after that might have been, I I could be wrong, but I think not long after that Jumanji came out. Right. And he was back to a comedic performance. And I remember it, like even as a kid, it feeling so jarring because I had, you know, I had just got through watching this movie where he was completely despicable back to being lovable, funny guy. Yeah. Well, something that I didn't, I didn't realize was, I, I don't know, I guess I'd always thought that because he was always in comedies and because he did in Living Color that he was, maybe he, his roots were as a comedian. Maybe they are. But he's also a pretty accomplished theater actor. Right, yeah. And you just, most of the work that he does, you don't get to see that. And in this, you you do. He has a very convincing performance in this movie. Uh, disturbing performance yeah. in this <laughs> Absolutely. movie. Absolutely. And I don't know, I would say that I'm almost disappointed that you don't get to see more of his real acting chops. Yeah, just yeah, that's fair. most of the time when you see him, he's being the cop in Jumanji. Kind of bumbling, you know. Just sort of a, a goofy a side character, mm-hmm. really. Because um, I don't know that I've ever seen anything with him as the lead either. So, and I don't know that, I, I don't know. It would be impossible for me to say that he couldn't carry a movie because we he's never been in one that I'm aware of. So, yeah. but his his acting just surprised and amazed me in this one. Yeah, I agree. But you've got those two guys and I just don't feel like the rest of the movie measured up to the level of talent that those two guys brought to the table. Ah. I would say, in again, as despicable as his character was, I believe that Corbin Burnson turned in a really good performance, too. Even as a shitty of a character as he was, he really put all of himself into that part. He did. And I don't know. I have a, I have a hard time with Corbin Burnson. The only, whenever I see him, the first thing I think of is the dentist. I, I really thought you were going to say, like, what is that baseball movie? Is it Major League? Or? I don't know. I haven't watched. I, yeah, I, I haven't, haven't really watched those. Sports movies are not really my thing apart but, from Rocky. Yeah, no, the dentist scared the hell out of me. I don't remember when I saw that. It, I was a kid and I must have like stayed up late. I was going to say, how the hell did you see that movie? I must have like stayed up late and watched it or something. Were you up with Rhonda Shear? Were you up all night with Rhonda Shear? As often as I could be. <laughs> as often as I could be, yeah. But yeah, that movie scared the hell out of me. And I don't know. That's just... So you a, kind of already knew him as a villainous type of character. I don't know that I've ever seen him anything where he was a good guy. Yeah. I don't know that I have either now that I'm thinking and about he's, it. He's a good villain. He's mm-hmm. he's the guy you love to hate. Right. But yeah, I don't know. He, he was His was good. His just didn't surprise me at all. Gotcha. I, I guess. Um, to me, Greer's was the real standout performance in this film. So I was going to ask that. I mean, that reminds me. I don't know that we talked about it last time. Maybe we did. But did you have a favorite of the rap, uh, not the wraparound stories or reach around stories as I called it back in the episode? Um, Did you have a favorite story or tale? I think if I had to pick a favorite, it would be the one with David Allen Greer, honestly. Okay. Um, that would be my, my favorite one. Obviously, it's uh, the subject matter is that they tackle is yeah, domestic abuse. And they really bring it home. <laughs> I mean, they sell it for sure. But that's also probably my favorite kill. Uh, when the little boy draws the picture of him and then you see the arm break and wads him up. And I don't know. It's just really screaming Mad George did work on that effect. Finally. So, I'm so glad you finally came around to that opinion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he 
he brought it on that one. So yeah. That's probably my favorite one. How about you? So that's going to sound kind of strange, I guess, but um, I like the wraparound story the best. I know that's not technically a, quote, tale, but it's part of the movie, and that's our main story, and I think that that one's my favorite overall. Um, I understand that there's not really a lot that happens. There's no real character development with anybody in that. It's just these guys getting their comeuppance, but in the vein of the old Tales from the Crypt movie, not not the series, but the film, um, you know, the old Hammer film, it's the same way where the Crypt Keeper, or I don't know what he's called now. It's It's been a while since I watched the film, um, where it's basically he pulls all these people into this room and he goes over what their misdeeds were while they were alive. And then at the end, it's basically, oh, by the way, you guys are in hell now. Only, you know, I would say done to much more dramatic effect entails from the hood but it i love that and that was part of um the writer darren scott's thing was that he was a lover of hammer films and he loved tales from the crypt and wanted to pay homage to it in that way and i i think he did a brilliant job yeah i think my only my only thing with the wraparound story is they're comedic Mm -hmm. i mean they're they're funny they're just not that funny and it you don't really since because there's no character development with those three you just don't there's no attachment there honestly i think if i was going to watch a movie where it's telling jokes and all this other shit i'd rather watch friday like I'd, I'd rather watch Ice Cube. It's so much funnier. So I don't know. I but yeah, to me, if I'm gonna watch that and we're just kind of in that environment, that one's better. That's the the superior film to the wraparound story that's in this one. To me, that's my opinion. If you if you look at the wraparound story just sort of as a standalone, right? You take all the segments, put them together. You've got three guys that are there for some drugs. It's kind of like watching the Three Stooges if the Three Stooges were gang members. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. Because it's just funny. And if I'm gonna watch that kind of movie. I'll just watch Friday. Or Don't Be a Menace. Or Don't Be a Menace. Yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. Because I just feel like they pull the jokes off better. It's funnier. Friday's got Ice Cube in it. (laughs) (laughs) Just... I don't know. He's, he's a good actor to me. I mean, I wish we did comedy and stuff too, because I would cover his movies, but you know. Yeah. I was, uh, I was actually, because we sat and we, we watched this and Candyman back to back in preparation for today. And I actually had the memory come back and hit me of the first time that I ever watched this film. And I think I was talking about it in the episode that my mom wouldn't let us watch it for years. And it was obviously because of the language and stuff like that. But when I was 16, she just at random one night decided me and her and my sister were going to watch it. And we were like, cool. Like, you know, we wanted to see, you know, what, what the hype was, why, you know, we weren't allowed to watch this movie for so long. And then, you know, watched it and obviously scared the shit out of me. But then I remember it was already like, it was late. I don't remember how late it was, but it was already pitch black outside. And my mom was like, let's go get ice cream. And I remember being like, I didn't want to go outside. I didn't want to go outside in the dark after after watching it and just like be sitting in the car being afraid and that first story rogue cop revelation coming to mind of them being in the car and him just like popping up on the street and stuff like that but i just thought it was strange it's like wonder why i didn't think about that story the first time we recorded but it was just it was it's so weird how you can do that sometimes how you can watch a film and then just recall a memory out of nowhere and yeah it's so strange <laughs> so i think we kind of veered away from the, the question <laughs> a 
little bit. A little bit. What's your favorite kill? Ah, uh, that's tough. Like, I guess ultimately it's going to go to the kill of Newton in um, Road Cop Revelation with the needles and then him turning into a mural. So I, that reminds me, I kind of, you know, like I said, we were watching this back to back with Candyman earlier. And of course, that ended up turning into a discussion of the Candyman, you know, Candyman 2021. And I was thinking about it a lot after we watched it. I was getting a shower and I'm sitting there thinking, could Tales from the Hood get the remake treatment with a more modern spin? Because, and I think we talked about it last time we recorded, that this is a movie that would still be effective today. It is still relevant today. Well, I was going to say, I don't know that you would need to put a modern spin on it because... Well, I I mean more modern in terms of the budget and how it's made, you know, no... Stop motion, no CG. Well, bad CG anyway. Yeah, uh, get an experienced director and spend some money on it. Yeah, but I I, I was going to probably cover this in the wrap-up. This, you wouldn't need to update it because sadly, everything, all the the content, the subject matter that they cover in this movie is still relevant now. Yes. Which is unfortunate. Um, But yeah, I don't really, you you wouldn't need to rewrite it. It's not something where you have to change what it is necessarily. Uh, I feel like you could benefit to rewriting it a little bit. There are some there's some clunky dialogue in there. Well, I mean dialogue, but I'm talking about the subject matter. Itself. Oh no, no, yeah, no, no, yeah. So I mean, all, all, all the bones are still good. Mm-hmm. They would just need to, yeah, update the dialogue, spend a little more money on it. Yeah, I'm thinking of lines like "cut the shit," <laughs> repeated over and over and over. Right. <laughs> But no, I just, I don't, I'm not a big fan of films getting remade, especially if it's a film that I like. But I think this is one that, like like you were just saying, in the hands of a really talented, fresh director. It, because there is still that element of humor in there uh, a little bit, which is why I feel like so many people did consider it to be a comedy. Whereas the filmmakers, not so much. But I don't know that I would want those guys to redo it themselves. Because let's be honest, they've had a crack at it with Tales from the Hood 2 and 3. And if you've never seen American Nightmares before, that's another one of their films. It just doesn't take place. Um, it's not a hood movie that this time. So, and I think uh, Danny Trejo is acting as our crypt keeper, so to speak. They're not great. They didn't get better as they went along. No, they did not. So. And they had. Actually, which one was it? Was it part three that had the Iron Patriot or something? No, that was part two. Part two. Yeah. It was so bad. So, so bad. Yeah. And some of the stories they, or tales they told in that one could have been good. Yeah. The only one of the stories that I think if you were going to do a remake on this and change it would be the crazy K storyline mm-hmm. just because they borrowed way too much from clockwork orange when they did that one. Uh, yeah. I can, I can see how that argument can be made. Yeah. I feel like they, they could have gone a different route. I'm just, I'm just going to be honest here. Clark, I think clockwork orange is a great movie. It's, it's, it's a classic, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's time it's, it was completely original I, I, to me, in my opinion, there may be another one out there that happened 40 years before then in black and white. That was a silent movie that was exactly the same. And, and they just remade it with Clockwork Orange. I don't know. I'm not a film history 
person. <laughs> but if you're going to borrow from another movie, you got to be really careful about what you borrow from. Because if you're going to borrow, you need to make it better. And it's going to be really tough to improve on that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like anything else you did, if, you, if you're if you modeling it off of Clockwork Orange, is going to come off as sort of clunky. And people are going to look at it, immediately recognize what it is and go, yeah, this is not as good. So I think that last, the last tale would need to be revised. So I could see that. Maybe try to. I think the subject matters would still be relevant, but I think the story itself, they could, they could present they the same material in, in a, in a different setting. Gotcha. Cause they, they did have some good ideas in there. Like they had, and I'm, I'm not sure which film came first and that would be House on Haunted Hill. They had that really cool thing where they took him off to that giant house in the middle of nowhere, you know, and had all the bodies swinging from the, oh, I don't know what that was. It looked like one of those clothing hanger things where they were shuffling bodies through. They had some neat ideas in there and some cool stuff, but yeah, overall, I think it, it's probably the weakest. I mean, and, and I don't say that because of the subject matter. The subject matter was very strong and it was very important, but like you said, the way it was told. It had the maybe. weakest presentation. Yeah. So, just my opinion. Other people might think that's the best one, but to me, it was a little bit too much on the nose with Clockwork Orange. Gotcha. So. I still, I know I just said the wraparound is probably, it, it is my favorite segment, obviously. Um, it's it's the part of the film that I quote the most. Um, those are my favorite characters. Just fry that shit right the first time you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> but tale-wise itself, if we're really getting into that, I, I think I'm going to go with Rogue Cop Revelation just because, like I said, I always have a soft spot for things that scare me, in particular if they scared the ever-loving shit out of me, and that's really the one that did because it really fucked with my head. Then I guess the obvious question is, does it still hold up? Yes, I say yes. This is still a movie that I, and admittedly, I've not watched it nearly as many times as I had before we talked about it. We've, we've mentioned this before that one of the side effects or drawbacks of doing a film podcast is that when you have to do your homework on the films and watch them over and over and over and dissect them, pick them apart, it takes that it takes the enjoyment out of it a little bit for me. So I have not watched it as many times as I did before we when we recorded that last time, but I still love it so much. It and and going back and revisiting it this week, I still love it. It still holds up. I love putting it on and again, as I talked about the last time, the soundtrack is still one of my favorites. But I I will still say that Clarence Williams III is what makes that fucking movie. Like, hands down, he's the best part of that movie for me. So, Travis, I know, again, sitting here, that it's not your favorite. But I feel like you did gain a little bit more of an appreciation for it than you had when we were just kind of first starting this out. Yeah, yeah. When we, when we first started doing the podcast and we're like, oh, we got to cover Tales from the Hood. I think I'd only seen, I think I may have only seen it one time. And that might've been one time if you, ha- if you add multiple sittings together. Cause I know there was a period of time there where you, this movie terrified you. Yes. And I think we had it on VHS. And so you watched it like over and over and over and over no, again. No, we just had it on regular DVD. So that, yeah. And your whole point was to not be terrified of Clarence Williams. So <laughs> Cuban V. You just kept you just kept watching it until you you weren't scared of him anymore. Right. It's kinda of like I can watch I can I can see Skeletor at the end without jumping, right? At oh the end my of God. Are you really about to throw me under the bus on that? I I am. I just did. <laughs> Fine, um, you may as well let me tell it to tell it proper. Okay. <laughs> Tell it. I'm the oldest of four siblings, and we would play these little games. Do like these? I don't even know what you'd call it, like a challenge or or dare. A double dog dare you. (laughs) 
it was always like a testing of the wills, I guess. And one of the things that we used to do was we would put on certain segments from films that would scare us. You know, one of those, oh man, I can't look at the screen. It's freaking me out or whatever. And again, don't, don't laugh. Okay. Cause I was a kid, like a little kid. I'm not talking about 16 year old me being afraid of Tales from the Hood. I'm talking about like seven, eight year old me. <laughs> and two films come to mind. And one of them was Masters of the Universe because there's a, an after credit scene for any of, I'm sure you guys know about it, but there's an after credit scene where after He-Man has <laughs> vanquished Skeletor by knocking him off or into a, what do you even call that? I don't know. I don't remember that movie that well. A very long hole. <laughs> A pit. A deep hole? A deep They're usually, yeah. I mean, I guess they could be long, but. <laughs> I don't know. It was a very long pit, and he landed in water, and after the credits are done rolling, Skeletor pops his head up out of the water and says, I'll be back. And so the challenge that the four of us did was we had to sit right in front of the screen, and I'm talking like three or four inches face away from the screen. And whoever was the last one sitting at the TV was the bravest. And so we would do that. And it it usually ended up being me and one of my brothers. Might have been my brother, Robert. But the second movie was Terminator 2 Judgment Day. And it's again, it's another credit scene. It's the 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 beginning credits, and there's the scene of the T800's face, chrome skeletal face, just like slowly ever inching toward the screen. And that was another one that we would sit right in front of the screen, and whoever is left there is the bravest one. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I remember you doing that with this movie, but I didn't necessarily watch it with you. Yeah. Um, it just wasn't, just wasn't a movie that I was interested in. So really the first time I had watched it, like watched it, watched it, was in preparation for the show. And... Uh, it's still not my favorite film, but I can appreciate what they're saying. And I still give it a watch, you know, a year, a year later. It's still a film you should watch. I mean, if nothing else, watch it for Clarence Williams and watch it for David Allen Greer's performance. I mean, those, like I said, those are the two real standouts for me. I mean, if you've never seen Greer do something serious before, if all you know him for is comedy, this will this will change your mind about his acting ability, 100%. And I think uh, we shouted out, you know, back in the beginning of the show, we would do content creation shout outs for for um, YouTube and I don't know if we did the originally but if we didn't I'm gonna go ahead and plug them now because every time I'm doing my homework on this show I go back to Prim's Hood Cinema on YouTube guys if you've not checked out that channel he does all the best hood movies and he does the most laid-back chill hilarious <laughs> audio commentary for these films um, and Candyman's another one they're 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 great so if you haven't checked out his channel channel yet please please do that but i guess we're gonna send you guys off to re-enjoy that episode yeah it's time to go to the mortuary and see what they got the go, shit go get the shit go get the shit the poopy pop <laughs> take care guys bye warning the following show features spoilers and opinions performed either by professionals or under the supervision of professionals accordingly dead and married and the producers must insist that no one attempt to recreate or reenact any opinion or fuckery performed on this show. Hey everybody, it's Friday. This is Travis. And I'm Ashley. And welcome back. <laughs> hey to everyone. another episode of Dead and Married. <laughs> Sorry, I've got the, the giggles. <laughs> You've got the tequila. Because <laughs> she's your lady. <laughs> we, we 
may legit end up having a bloopers track that we do for you guys because I we started trying to do this episode and I completely flubbed up the beginning. You're like Ron Burgundy on Anchorman <laughs> trying to get warmed up. Uh, okay, so I'm gonna try to get through this. So what's up? <laughs> And today we're going to be covering the 1995 film, Tales from the Hood, directed and written by Rusty Cundiff and written by Darren Scott, produced by Spike Lee. Um, Another Spike Lee joint. Yeah. Uh, Well, first for us, but... I don't think he... No, that was, there used to be a tagline on one of his movies. I don't remember. I, I think he still does that, but to my knowledge, this is one of the only horror films, I think, that his name is attached to. I'd have to look. I don't know that he did any other horror yeah, movies. Yeah, but anyway, so today we are covering this film, and it happens to be one of my personal favorites, and uh, true to form, it is not one of yours, right? That is correct. <laughs> that is correct. And it's just not... It's just not my thing. I have a hard time with most anthologies. Yeah. I think it's, you just don't get the the same character development. In order for me to really like a movie, I have to kind of get attached to something in there. And when Mm -hmm. they're constantly shifting gears, unless there's just something really awesome in there, it just doesn't do it. I, I get lost. Well, not lost. I lose interest, I think, because there's nothing, there's no character or anything that just keeps me wanting to see what happens next. Okay, but we can both agree that we like Mr. Sims at least. Oh, he's crazy as hell. Yeah, Clarence Williams goes all out in this. And he's a great actor anyway, but yeah, he's got like the best dialogue. He's got crazy eyes. <laughs> he's got the Letterman gap. Like, <laughs> this was probably the best utilization I've ever seen in a movie of a tooth gap. <laughs> right. <laughs> like they really played it. Yeah. Well, it's one of my favorites. I've got kind of a strange relationship with it. And you can kind of bust my balls for everybody here about it. But um... Have no fear. <laughs> I first saw it when I was, I think, uh, 16 or 17. Um, I remember my parents renting it when I was like 12, maybe, and we weren't allowed to watch it. Now, I don't know what, I have a weird thing. Like, uh, I had aunts that would let me watch horror movies and that's where my love started. But my mom was different and she would not let us watch them. But for some reason, one night she just decided to load me and my sister up on junk food and let us watch it and I was fucking terrified of this movie for years like the ending left me completely shook that I couldn't look at the box I couldn't watch any promos I <laughs> like I couldn't watch Clar- Clarence Williams or Tom Wright in any subsequent movies after this so well how long were we together before I made you sit and watch this and you were like why do you keep watching this movie if you're so scared of it <laughs> Yeah, because there's a part in the first episode that you wouldn't even look at. No. You'd like look away from the TV when it would come up. And then at the very end, you would always look away. Like, I, I don't understand that. And I was like, I, if I keep watching it, I'll build up my tolerance to where I'm not afraid of it anymore. And, and now I can watch it on loop like a whole day and, and be fine. So ultimately it worked out. You immunized yourself. <laughs> You're vaccinated against Tales from the Hood. Right. But anyway. Now you just need a booster. (laughs) A booster. Anyway. I have very, very few movies that bother me anymore. I'm like completely jaded. However, there are certain subject matter and imagery and stuff that still sticks with me depending on the movie. So yeah, this was this was one that was hard to get over for a while. <laughs> so having said all of that, Travis, what do you think about this movie? So 
it's not it's not my favorite it's not a bad movie it's just i don't know like i said i have i have trouble with anthologies i, I don't know why I, I think it is the character development thing like i need i need something i can get behind uh, a hero or somebody that you can root for but i don't make friends very easily <laughs> so <laughs> i'm like, your I gotta, friend i gotta spend it took 20 years so <laughs> i i have to spend some time with them you know what i mean before right. i decide this is the character that i'm gonna root for right and in an anthology i just don't really get that i mean they're all good stories they, they seem to be well directed well written there's nothing wrong with them it's just not for me yeah like there's if there's at least a couple of people you can root for in it uh the majority no but there are there's a couple that you kind of you you hope that you know they i was rooting for clarence williams (laughs) you kind of hope that the bad guys get what's coming to them and that our hero protagonist you know (laughs) okay spoiler alert clarence williams is the devil and he's my favorite so what would your mother say Uh, don't even want to think about that. <laughs> anyway. <Nothing good. laughs> so, you ready to get started on this? Let's do it. Let's get in the shit. So, we open on some pretty awesome credits. Um, it has this, like, really kind of freaky sounding, uh, is it a fiddle? You know, that, you know. I have no idea what it is. <laughs> I think it's a fiddle. But, uh, it's pretty creepy. Um, and then we have this tight shot on a on a skeleton that's all gangstered up with a bandana and gun and cigarette and gold tooth. It's pretty cool looking, but that leads us into our wraparound story of the movie. Why do they call it that? I It doesn't I go all the way back around. Like you don't follow that story <laughs> to the end and then start back at the beginning. I don't, I don't know. It's a stupid name. It's more like a through story because it continues through the movie. You want to call it a reach around? <laughs> I'd get more out of that. <laughs> anyway, we digress. So, we get our wraparound story that's called Welcome to My Mortuary. I can't believe you just called it a wraparound story. <laughs> and this, this this whole wraparound story, sorry, the wraparound story is probably my favorite part of this whole movie. Our three, um, our three gangsters and Mr. Sims, our mortician, is some of the best dialogue, some of the funniest dialogue, um, some of the most memorable, quotable moments of this movie for me. And I think you would agree with that. Oh yeah. The three, I don't know what to call them. They're not, and they're not protagonists, right? Cause they're not good guys. No. You can figure out very quickly that these are not good guys. Right. So they're not really protagonists. They don't do anything that makes you root for them from the beginning, but they're not antagonists either necessarily, at least not at this point. Yeah. So I'd have to say, yeah, my favorite part of the whole movie is Clarence Williams, the third. <laughs> Which is crazy, right? Because he does such a good job in this movie, but he was a theater actor and a damn good one. Yeah. I mean, he's he cannot only pull off creepy I mean, as well as he does in this movie. But I've seen him, you know, do television work where he's pretty serious. I mean, you know, going back to my favorite, he's got a, I think it's a one one or two episode arc in uh, Twin Peaks where he plays an FBI agent. And of course, my ass being terrified of him, he came up there in Twin Peaks and I was like, ah, <laughs> you know, I think I even did that in Half-Baked, which further explains my point that he can also be really funny, like over the top funny. So I thought he was pretty over the top funny in this one. And this and it's Cuban B. And that's yeah, because this is not a funny movie. No, like it's not. This is not a horror comedy. There are things in there that make you laugh a little bit, maybe. But ninety nine point nine nine percent of that comes from Clarence Williams, and it's in the through story. I'm not going to call it a wraparound story. It's stupid. <laughs> but it's all him because nothing really is funny in any of the, the 
and episodes. You know what's sad is this movie was marketed as a spoof movie. Like I'm, I'm thinking people must have thought this was in the vein of um, Airplane or Don't Be a Menace or you know any of those uh, Wayans Brothers spoof type things. What would they have been spoofing? I have no earthly idea because it doesn't rip on any movie specifically. Like if, if you're talking about Don't Be a Menace, right? That's that's spoofing all of the 90s, 80s and 90s hood movies. The closest thing they get to a spoof on in this is Clockwork Orange. <laughs> yeah. And even then, it's not a spoof. I always think of those as something funny, right? Right. Like scary movie. Yeah. If, <laughs> if I'm going to watch any of those movies that you just named... I don't want to watch Scream. I want to watch Scary Movie. At okay, least, JP. At least there's something good in Scary Movie. <laughs> at least I get a chuckle out of that one. Yeah. But it's just really sad because there are some important issues tackled throughout this movie. And none of it's funny. I mean, yeah, like you said, there's funny moments. But, you know, the things that... And, and I believe I heard it on documentaries where they were saying um, that people were laughing and laughing. But... They ended up making moments so uncomfortable that eventually people would be like, oh, right, this isn't funny. And it's just not. Like I said, there, there was a reason I was afraid of this movie for so long, and that's because one story in particular I have dealt with personally. And so it's kind of hard to take that stuff, you know, to a funny place if you have been through it yourself, you know. That being said, there is some really, really funny dialogue and this especially from our three main characters and Mr. Sims. Yeah, especially up front. Uh, when they first get there, uh, you know, when they're standing on the porch and they're trying to all be tough. And <laughs> and what's the uh, bulldog, right? The, the Bulldogs are our tough guy. He's the tough one of yeah. the three. And then you got the guy wearing, it's like a tracksuit, right? Yeah. And he's the pothead of the group. Well, that they're all smoking weed at the well, beginning. Well, they are, so. but... By the way, these parts are played by Joe Torre as Stack, DeAndre Bonds as Ball, Samuel Monroe Jr., and Clarence Williams III as Mr. Sims, respectively. So just throw that out there. <laughs> okay. So we get our character introduction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's the tough guy, and then uh, which one is it, Ball? Yeah. He's the one that turns around when Clarence Williams opens the door. And- oh, no, no, no. That's that's uh, Stack. Stack. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But to be fair, the, the minute he opens that door and he just got, like, bust through with crazy eyes, like, I've been waiting for you. Shit, I'd run to Oh, him. my gosh. I- <laughs> and I think I'd probably perform every bodily function on the way down. <laughs> but, yeah, when Stack turns around to run and hit, like, runs head first into, I guess, it's like a lantern hook. Yeah. Just flattens himself out. Yeah. Which is funny later because he hands him an ice pack. Yeah. And he holds it to the back of his head. Yeah, that's true. But he's got the bruise <laughs> on his forehead. Yeah. So. <laughs> Who knows? Or maybe he hit his head harder on the ground. Yeah. Who knows? So but, if you've seen this movie, you guys know the basic premise. These guys are going to this funeral home to get a huge mass of drugs that apparently have been found by Mr. Sims, a.k.a. the shit. Ah, the shit. A transaction's being made that they're going to pay Mr. Sims for this larger quantity of drugs that he's found. And while they're discussing this transaction, Mr. Sims kind of leads them to a body in a coffin. And that's what leads us into our first official story of the movie. This one is called Rogue Cop Revelation. 
and it stars Wings Hauser as uh, Strom, Tom Wright as Martin Morehouse, Anthony Griffith as Clarence, Michael Massey as Newton, and Dwayne Whitaker as Billy. What did you think of this one? Again, it was good. It's a good story. It's a sad story. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to get into the, the social part of it or any of that stuff. It's just, it, it's something that I'm sure happens or mm-hmm. has happened. Well, I think this kind of came out around the time of the L.A. riots and stuff, so it was a pretty bad climate at the time. But Yeah, yeah the uh, the riots, I think, happened in about 92, and mm-hmm. this movie came out in 1995. I, I remember the L.A. riots, seeing them on the news when I was a kid. And unfortunately, this movie is still, it's still very, or the story, I mean, in particular, is still very relevant today. But anyway, so... We start with these two cops, Clarence and Newton, and this was Michael Massey's first role, I believe, after taking a year off after The Crow for the accidental death of Brandon Lee, which really sucks. Um, Michael Massey's been in a lot of stuff that I've enjoyed, so, but it, it was good to see him back. I think he passed away a few years ago or a couple years ago, something like that. But anyway, so they're on this, they're doing their nightly rounds, I guess. <laughs> I don't know the lingo, you know. Uh, they were patrolling. Patrolling, yeah. My my brother's a cop, and yet I still know nothing about this. <laughs> but they came up on the other two that had already, I guess it was supposed to be a traffic stop. Quote, traffic stop. Yeah. <laughs> we use that, that phrase loosely. <laughs> yeah. The two cops, Strom and Billy, have Martin Morehouse, um, played by Tom Wright, up against his car, like, patting him down, and he's telling him, you know, or asking, why are you pulling me over? You don't have any reason to. And they're like, oh, you have a traffic light out. Um, And then he smashes his taillight with his nightstick. Yeah. Guy's such a douche. Yeah. Um, And and I will say this for Wings Hauser. He does a fantastic job of being a dick. Yeah, and I'm I'm confused. Like, what is the deal with him and Cole Hauser, his son? You know, because because he's a dick too. Well, what was it like? In, in his characters, I don't know him personally, <laughs> but yeah, we we know there's a lot of moms that like Yellowstone out there, so don't come at us. Okay, well, I've never watched that show. <laughs> I tried once, and it's just not me. Right, uh, but I do remember him from Pitch Black, and he was a dick in that movie. Yeah, but what did Higher Learning come out? I can't remember if Higher Learning came out before this movie or after, but. They almost play the same type of role because Cole Hauser plays a skinhead in that movie. Yeah. And freaking scary. I mean, uh, he... Well, now, here's here's another thing. Did Wings Hauser do anything after this movie? You know... Or was this his last one? He... I did uh, hear an interview where he said he didn't take on another role like this after this. Um, he said he kind of felt like it was something he did. He was glad he did it, but now it's out of his system and he wasn't doing it again. And I'm like, is that... He's thing. glad he did it. Is that a th- is that a thing you need to get out of your system? Does he because... think it gives him credibility? <laughs> I, I don't know. But... Like, hey, I can be a douchebag cop. <laughs> like, like, not who... that all cops are. Just this particular guy. <laughs> this cop was a racist fucker. Yeah. So I just, yeah, I don't get it. You need to get that out of your system. And and uh, I believe that Corbin Burnson said something in the same vein about, you know, we don't, we don't do these things in real life, but there's a part of all of us, or there's a part in all of us that have this. And I'm like, what uh, kind of statement is that? Maybe you, like, I don't have a racist well, and, thing lurking in my body. <laughs> and his segment comes up much later, but he did... They did say in an interview that we watched that he he apologized before and after nearly every line that he said, Corbett Burnson did. Yeah. That he was like, I'm sorry, I have to say this, but I don't mean it. And then he'd, you know, do his lines. <laughs> yeah, didn't he say something like, don't jump me or something? I'm like, I would have jumped him just for saying that. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> like, everybody knows what you're about to say. Just 
Say it, get it over Like, with. you know what reverse racism is, right? <laughs> so, anyway. Anyway. So they're telling him basically that he's, that uh, Morehouse, like, you're not going to take any more cops off the streets. And he's like, well, if they keep selling drugs in my community, I'm going to. And, you know, Strom's like talking about you're going to ruin good cops lives. And he's like, I don't have anything against good cops, but I'm going to see every low life scum like you kicked out of the department. Well, that pisses Strom off. And he, like, yeets his head through a card window. Which, is that even possible? Like, I, I've been wondering about that. Because isn't that glass, like, pretty thick? Yeah, I mean, you could. You'd have to really get behind it, though. That glass is pretty tough. I mean, I'm, I'm having flashes to Karate Kid. <laughs> What's his butt punching through this window? Karate Kid was not a documentary. <laughs> Neither is this. Anyway, so him throwing uh, Morehouse's head through the glass makes Morehouse decide he's going to stand up for himself, right? As you would. So he throws a a punch, but unfortunately, he's way outnumbered. And so the cops proceed to take out their nightsticks and beat the holy shit out of him. And it's a very hard scene to watch. Um, It goes on for too long, but I think that was the intent. They wanted to make the audience uncomfortable to see, like, this is real. Like, this is the extent of, you know. And directors do that on purpose to make you uncomfortable. Because I know that there are scenes in other movies where something terrible is happening and they show you just a glimpse of it and then they cut away. Right. Mm -hmm. And it it doesn't really give that moment the impact that it needs. Right. Necessarily. And in this one, he didn't shy away from it. No, I would say it's very impactful. And then to have Billie Holiday's Strange Fruit playing in the background just adds to that. And it's very haunting and very sad song. If you've never heard it, I urge you to listen to it. Um, What was it again? uh, Strange Fruit by Billie Holiday. Yeah, paired up in this scene, it works so well. And I don't specifically know how long that scene runs for, but it feels like it goes on for a very long time. But meanwhile, our cop, our rookie cop, I should say, um, Clarence, he's running the plates in the back and how he has no idea what's going on is beyond me. Like those cop cars aren't very far away from each other. It seems like he would have been able to hear the glass breaking and then beating him up. Like, like, are you just off in your own world, dude? Cause yeah, I don't get that. Cause I mean, they're basically parallel parked and yeah, this is happening two cars in front of him. Yeah. So I don't know how he missed all that. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. But he discovers on upon um, running his plates that Martin Morehouse is considered a political agitator. And then it kind of, the light bulb goes off and he's like, oh my God, you know, this is Martin Morehouse. So he, he jumps out of the car and he tries to break up this fight. And meanwhile, Newton's telling the guys, hey, not in front of the rookie, not in front of the rookie and trying to break it up. And Clarence is kind of ready to throw down with Strom at that point. But Newton breaks it up and he's like, come on, let's let's get back to work. And he tells, uh, Newton tells Strom, he's like, you know what you have to do. So... Well, they told Clarence they were going to take him to the hospital right. first. Uh-huh. Like, that's, I think that's how he convinces Clarence to, let's go, these guys are going to take him to the hospital. Right. Which, why he believed that. I wouldn't. I mean, I, I think I would have been like, no, I'm going to see him to the hospital personally. And then I'm going to turn all three of you in after this. Well, like. From what I understand, and this is nothing against your brother, that <laughs> is not how it works in the police. Yeah. They've well, I mean, this, they talk about it, the code. Yeah. So. That if you're a cop, you just don't turn in your yeah. fellow officers. 
I mean, I get it. If he, if he had, if he had not quit the force and turned these guys in, then he would have been considered a snitch, right? I mean, then that would have... I think, they, I think it, it's a lot like prison in that respect. Yeah. Then, you know, he would have had everybody turning on him. Which is funny, you know. <laughs> yeah. Police officers talk about that. Snitches get stitches and they do the same damn thing. Yeah. Not all. Not, not all. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a political show, guy. But... We know they're out there. Yes. So, anyway, unfortunately, uh, Morehouse does not get taken to the hospital. They drive him over by some docks, I guess, at a bay or something. And they fill his trunk full of, what was that, heroin? They put a couple bricks of heroin in his trunk. Yeah. And then they shoot him up in the arm because not only are they going to get him to basically leave them alone, but they're going to frame him at the same time. Well, they're destroying his legacy. Yes. So we cut to a year later and... Hang on, hang on, hang on. There's a problem with this shot. And it's a continuity error. So, you know, they they shoot him full of heroin. Uh And then the car, like the guy's standing on the, uh, just inside the door steering. Uh And the car's rolling backwards Mm -hmm. down the hill. Uh-huh. With the, the, I guess the the officer in the squad car is guiding him down or whatever. Yeah. And you see it picking up speed, but then when it goes off in the water, it's facing forward. I don't guess as many times as I've watched this, I don't guess I've ever noticed that. So. Yeah. So at some point, the car turns around. <laughs> I'll have to look for that again. It's so, funny. Anyway. Like, as many times as you watch a movie, you can still pick up things. <laughs> so yeah. clearly, I need to watch it again. But like I was saying, we cut to a year later, and Clarence is... He's in rough shape. He's an alcoholic. Yeah. He's, uh... Instead of doing the right thing, he decided to drink himself to death. Yeah. He looks rough. He's, uh... He's kind of cracking up, I guess. Or we think that he may be cracking up. And this is going to lead me to a theory, but we'll get to it. But he starts hearing the voice of Morehouse in his head uh, calling his name. And so we see him stumbling in an alley, drinking, and he gets to a place in this alley that's got a giant mural of Morehouse painted on it. And I wish I could read everything it says. Um, I, it's, a, it's a really uh, cool mural. But he gets to it and he's hearing Morehouse talking to him, telling them to bring them to me, you know, basically the other cops. And we see the this imagery of Morehouse on the cross and just basically he just keeps repeating that bring them to me and um, Clarence is like I will I will I will he says that like several times but the next thing is we are in the cemetery and Clarence is waiting on one of the tombstones and our cops show up and they want to know what what they're doing there and he's like it's the anniversary of what we did and they don't they're they're dicks about it they could care less they assume no response and what happened, but Clarence thinks they need to go pay their respects. And behind his back, the other cops are plotting to kill him. So Strom decides he's got this wonderful idea, and all the guys are going to love it, of course, that he's going to take a piss on Morehouse's grave. And so he does, and he tries to convince Billy to do it after him. And Billy, of course, is kind of... Yeah, Billy starts, well, I went before we left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't really have to go right now. He, sh- he should have went before we left. He did go before they left. <laughs> but he finally listened to his mother. <laughs> it kind of starts a little bit of a scuffle, but it's quickly broken up. And Billy decides to go ahead and follow suit. Well, while he's going, um, we see a hand shoot out of the grave. And he grabs him by the dick. <laughs> I'm still not sure he grabbed him by the dick and not by the pants. It makes me feel better to think that, because if anybody deserved it, it's him. 
Mr. Stick. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Some MMA fight, bro. It looks, it looks almost exactly like the shot from Dead Alive. It does. Like, trying to piss on a grave, grabs him by the dick. Like, secretly, I hope that's what really happens if somebody does try to pee on a grave. Yeah. Like but the hand reaches up, grabs him by the dick. <laughs> I'm just saying we don't see any evidence of that. Like, he doesn't have his wang out or anything. It's just, you know. Maybe it was and you just couldn't see it. <laughs> anyway, but we're he, off topic. Uh, <laughs> he pulls him in, into the ground. And, of course, the guys are, like, freaking out. Where did he go? Where did he go? Well, clearly, he's in the ground now, guys. Like, did you not just see? But, anyway, <laughs> he's pulled under. And as they're freaking out, we get this kind of dirt explosion thing happen. And what did they use for that? It was an air cannon. Yeah. And fun fact, they shot this in a real cemetery. I can't believe they let I'm them do that. I'm amazed exactly that they would even let them do that. I know. If and you... the, the part where his heart was ripped out, I guess that was an after the fact sort of added thing. Like, yeah. They did, that wasn't originally in the, what do they call it, the storyboards or whatever. Uh-huh. And so that, I guess they went to the hardware store and got, I don't know, they MacGyvered up a hole in his chest. Yeah. So. But you could see all the dirt, like, clinging to it and stuff from yeah. the explosion. It still looked good, though. Yeah. Hell yeah, it did. But, yeah. So, you you just told him. Uh, he gets his heart ripped out by Morehouse, and he's standing on the grave holding his uh, beating heart. And I've got to tell you that, to date, this is still, to me, the scariest zombie ever committed to celluloid. I know there's a whole shitload of you out there that are like, what? <laughs> but he's fucking scary and this is not the first time he's even had this type of role he also played the hitchhiker in creep show 2 so this dude as a zombie has been scaring my little ass for decades he just he clearly does the best zombies i've heard people say you know this maybe this wasn't the best makeup but it was plenty effective on me because i was like holy shit Well, and there's a ton of zombie movies out there, and so in the grand scheme of things, makeup on this one was pretty good. I thought so. And I think what makes him a more intimidating zombie for some is that he's not a mindless brain eater. No, he has a purpose. He's not a walker. (laughs) Stupid name for a zombie. (laughs) Anyway, he's he's more like a malevolent force. Yeah. You know. He's, it's a thinking entity that's yeah. coming to get you. And I think that makes it and a for, little more frightening. And for the pursuit of these cops, you know, he does this like kind of teleporting Jason Voorhees style <laughs> teleportation throughout, which just adds to the creepiness. There's a shot where he's rolled off a car and lands in the street. His eyes are closed, but then they have this uh, piano cue and his eyes fly open and I, oh my God. Yeah, and then he shows up on the trunk of the squad car. He's like, it's me. <laughs> right? <laughs> But he picks our coughs off one by one, obviously. He decapitates Strom. Um, he got off too easy. He, he did, they I agree. They should have switched those roles around. I, like, if anybody deserves what's coming next, it was Strom. I totally agree. Wasn't um, that a scheduling problem? Like, they had intended Strom to get the worst death? Yeah. But, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, because of the filming schedule or something like that, it, they had to make it. Was Mike Massey? Yeah. He had to be the one yeah. that got the, the shitty death. Or yeah. the appropriate one. Yeah. Um, which it's it's a cool it's a cool sequence, his death sequence, you know, he crucifies him with a bunch of hypodermic needles up against that mural wall in the alley. And as yeah, he's so we jumped ahead. So basically what's his name? The cop? Strom? No, or Newton. 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 He stops the car or wrecks it or whatever, he jumps out and he runs and he's back in the alley uh-huh. where Clarence was earlier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Kind of there. What do you call it? The skid row sort of area. Mm-hmm. And there's hypodermic needles all over the ground. And that's where and, the zombie catches up yeah. with him. And there's a very nice plug for natural born killers there, too. <laughs> did you notice that in the background? I did not. <laughs> but... 
Yeah, so he, uh, like I said, he pins him to a wall with these these needles, and they start this really cool sequence of Newton's body, face, everything melting into the wall and becoming graffiti itself. It's really creepy the way that it's the way it looks. Uh, they did a hell of a job on it, um, and it's a really effective sequence. And then um, you know everything is kind of wrapped up at that point, and Clarence feels. I think he's feeling pretty proud of himself at yeah, this he feels, moment. He feels like he's justified yeah. or something. He's he's made this penance yeah. of a sort. But Morehouse is like, nah, son. <laughs> he's like... Well, he was like, where were you when I needed you, brother? Yeah. So, so we end up seeing uh, Clarence in the paddy wagon after that. Well, you know, padded room. He's in the sanitarium. He's not... <laughs> a paddy wagon is like prisoner transport. Okay. You knew what I meant. But anyway. But our listeners didn't. <laughs> I'm He's in a sorry, sanitarium in a straight jacket, a padded, in a, in a I'm padded sorry. room. I almost said powdered room. That would be weird. <laughs> in a powder's nose. <laughs> yeah. So this is where the, the thing comes up, right? Was there ever really a zombie? Yes. Or did Clarence kill all those cops? Yes. This was the theory I wanted to talk about. Which one was it? It's. I feel like it could go either way. Like you could go with, yeah, Clarence had so much guilt over what happened that he snapped and went back to take revenge on these cops. Nah, fuck that guy. He let it happen in the first place. He doesn't deserve that. Yeah. He deserves to be in the padded room. Yeah. I vote for Morehouse getting his revenge. Yeah. So that that's what I subscribe to is that's, I think... That's not necessarily no. what did happen. It's what, in my mind, I want to think happened. Yeah. Well, yeah, I subscribe to, yeah, Morehouse totally did it. And it, it was great. I, and... I think it's... Clarence just took the rap for killing those white cops. Yes, he did. So he didn't win. Right. Well, Morehouse did. Clarence did not. So is that the the continuation of Clarence's penance? That he gets the the death of these cops pinned on him and he spends the rest of his life... Talking to himself. Well, yeah, but... (laughs) Yeah. You know... It's a, it's a very bleak ending, for sure. This is not a happy ending. No, all. not at all. But it is a really good story. Well, it's happy in that three shitty cops got taken off the street. Yes. That's about it. Yeah, but the effects, everything, um, the acting. I know people are like, mm, there's kind of some iffy dialogue in there. But I feel like it's a good story, and I think it works very well. Well, okay. How many movies had this guy written before he did this one? Oh, goodness. I'm not really sure. I know... I know what he kind of did since then, but... He's done a lot since, but I don't know that this was his first one. Yeah. So I, that kind of just kind of goes back to my thing, is that typically writers get better the more they do. Yeah. Well, I believe that Darren Scott, he did a lot of work on some horror movies yeah. before. Like, he had a history. But as far as uh, Rusty Cundiff, I'm not sure. Yeah. Now, he's done some good movies since then, but I think this might have been... Well, he did a lot I of have... the writing for Chappelle's show, which we love. Oh, so. shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Funny guy. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway... So See, that, that's the thing. That's what kills me. People give Dave Chappelle a lot of credit for being funny as hell. He's not. His writers are. Uh, his Dave writers, Chappelle's still funny. His I writers are funny as hell. <laughs> I still think Dave Chappelle's funny. <laughs> but anyway, so we go back to Mr. Sims and our, our three main characters. And, you know, they feel like the cops got what they had coming. And, you know, as we all do. But they're, you know, they heard the story. They're ready to go. And This doesn't affect them. So no, other yeah. than sort of agreeing with the resolution of the story, they could care less. Right. They're just like, yeah, cops got killed. We're good. Yeah. Where's the drugs? Right. The shit. <laughs> Where's the shit? 
But Sims isn't having any of this. He starts uh, talking about reality being a matter of perception. And we go into another room and he opens another casket and the guys see something really bad. What type of shit? Thus leading us into our next story called Boys Do Get Bruised. And this one stars David Allen Greer as Carl, Paula Jai Parker as Sissy, Brandon Hammond as Walter, and Rusty Cundiff, director himself, playing Mr. Garvey. Okay, so I just want to go ahead and say this. This is my favorite one, and I know how that sounds. It's my favorite one because of David Allen Greer, and that's because this is, like, guy's a good actor, Mm -hmm. but you always see him being a goofball, Mm -hmm. right? He's the cop in Jumanji. He's in in Living Color, Mm -hmm. and you never get, you hardly ever actually know. I don't know that I've ever seen him in a serious role, other than this. Yeah, and the dude nailed it. Oh yeah, he's a dick. He's terrifying. In this this movie, he's a dick. Yeah, he pulled off scary very well. God does a fantastic job. Like this was probably the biggest surprise for me. Like yeah, I, I had seen Clarence Williams and other stuff. I knew he could pull off, you know, a creepy, weird mortician. Mm-hmm. I knew that. But to see David Allen Greer do this was pretty awesome. Yeah. So this was the one I was saying, you know, I could relate to the most. I grew up with some domestic abuse whenever I was a kid. And so it was the harder one for me to watch. I know there were people that thought that this one was funny. And I guess it was because seeing David Allen Greer do this part. But again, I did not find it funny at all. Um, however, that being said, I love the practical effects in this short. They're amazing. Um, I love Screaming Mad George, all of his work. Some of you may know his stuff from probably Society being the most notorious, the infamous shunting scene. Um, but he also did like the cockroach scene in Nightmare on Elm Street 4, which has terrified our son for years. <laughs> but... Um, Yeah, I can't say enough about the practical effects in this movie. They're amazing. Trying to think of stuff I didn't like in this one. Apart from the subject matter, again, in maybe... Mr. Gary. Garvey? Garvey. (laughs) (sighs) If there was a... Whatever. If there was a performance in here that wasn't great, it would be his. Now, I say that, take it with a grain of salt. If you take his performance and you put it up against David Allen performance, Mm -hmm. anybody else is going to look a little meh. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because Greer, he brought it. Yeah. So maybe his performance is just a little wooden to me Mm -hmm. by comparison. Mm -hmm. I don't think he had much acting experience before this. Honestly, the little kid did a better job. Oh, I actually... Isn't that the Soul Food kid? Yeah. (laughs) Soul Food, Space Jam. What movie was it we watched the other day? Menace to Society. I think he was a younger version of our main character. Character. He was like drinking out okay. in the stoop. They gave him beer, remember? Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that kid had a hell of a few years there. He was in just about everything. Um, this was like one of his last roles, so that, that kind of bums me out a bit because kid, he's an amazing actor and apparently he could cry on cue and all the times that he cries in this one, you believe it. Like, it really looked like somebody just whooped the shit out of him because he really brought the tears and emotion and really feel for him. Well, if he could cry on cue, then those were real tears. Well, I know, so. but I'm just saying you have you have some people they they'll do the crying and yes they can physically cry but you still don't buy it you know they're just like I can make water leak from my eyes but you know well, they don't always. necessarily bring the emotion sometimes they're crying and like you get two <laughs> drops it's like now they need more visine cut cut <laughs> yeah a single man tear. <laughs> Anyway. But anyway, and uh, the mother in this one. Uh, I said Paula Jai Parker. It's Paula J. Parker. And I love her. <laughs> she's She's been in some of my favorite movies. Uh, Don't Be a Menace. Friday, of course. Um, I think she did voice for the Proud Family. Um, so she... 
she was Ice Cube's uh, girlfriend. I just said Friday. Friday. She, yeah. yeah. I just I just put them together. Yeah. Okay. Big booty hose. <laughs> yeah. No, she's good. Who is that bitch? <laughs> Love her. Me and me and my seventh grade best friend. We used to say that shit all the time. Now, ah, who is that bitch? So. She's great. She and she's another one that you were used to seeing her in such comedic stuff that this was this was really different. And I can't imagine the emotional toll a part like this would have on I, you. I got to be honest. She looked different in this movie to mm-hmm. me, and, and I did not even put her together as being the same person. Right. So yeah, yeah. good makeup and good acting because I would never have put those two together. Yeah, yeah. She did a she did an amazing job for sure. But our premise in this story is that there's a little boy that thinks that there's a monster hiding in his room. That's all we see. At, at this point, we just see a monster trying to well, get into his room at night as he's trying to sleep. Yeah, it's not hiding in his room. It's coming well, into coming his room. Well, coming into his room, room yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you get, in the beginning, you get like a glimpse of a big claw uh-huh. kind of coming around the door, but... Yeah. They, they do a good job. Like, you don't get a monster reveal. No. Well, uh-huh. you do, just not the one you're expecting. Right. So, um, we we follow Walter as he's a new kid in school. And right off the bat, they're kind of setting him up like he's got a shit life. There's kids uh, beating him up on the playground. Well, and... that's because the teacher made him introduce himself and made the whole class say hello. <laughs> do you want to hear something what funny? What kind of stupid shit is that? I don't know why teachers do that. So... It's so you'll get your ass kicked your first day. I guess it builds character. So, here's the thing I do almost every time I watch that segment of him getting introduced is they they do that thing hello Walter and I always think of Cleveland from Family Guy so I always do hello Peter okay we should probably keep your impressions to a minimum on this you love them we do want people to continue to listen to us but it's just funny because as soon as you said it, that was the first thing I thought of. But anyway, um, yeah, he ends up getting beat up by some bullies on the school in the schoolyard. And Mr. Garvey, played by our director, he comes in, breaks it up, and he sends Walter to the nurse, which is where they discover that he's got bruises on his body. Well, he's got a black eye. Oh, right, 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 right. It, start, it starts well, out with a black it's eye. It's not anymore. It's turned green at this point. Yeah. And that's the thing is that he it's thought... One of those good bruises oh this thing's hurt <laughs> he uh he thinks that one of the boys did it but the nurse points out that no this bruise is kind of several days old yeah and so they start to ask him you know did your mother do it did your father do it and walter's like no my father's dead and so they keep going through and asking him who who did it and they finally walter finally tells them it was a monster and so they're kind of like yeah okay whatever and if you don't want to tell us anything but he said nobody would believe me well, which is so that, sad he said that the monster moved in after his daddy died. That, yeah he did he, he which moved that should have been an indicator died. to them right there you would think the next question there should have been you know does your mom have a boyfriend or you have a stepdad or something like that right but these people suck at their jobs yeah because they didn't ask that question yeah but um we get kind of just a little bit of montagey stuff after this of walter the monster coming into walter's room and him showing up with fresh bruises the next day and then one day at recess while the kids are playing walter's drawing a picture and mr garvey's like hey why aren't you with the other kids and he's like i don't even remember what his response was to that. I don't think he gave a response. But he asked him what he's doing and, and who he's drawing and he says, the monster. Yeah, I don't get that. You can see the kids sitting there coloring. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> like, aren't you supposed to be the teacher? You're supposed to be the smart guy here. I'm sitting here fucking coloring. You're asking me what I'm doing? Yeah. I got a crayon in my hand. I'll asshole. color him. What does it look like? I'm yeah. making a masterpiece. 
So Walter then tells Mr. Garvey his theory that if he draws the monster and crumbles it up or burns it, that the monster will go away. Yeah, some, some girl in class told him that. Yeah, Lord, that sits behind you. Yes. But um, Mr. Garvey, of course, is think he's treating this like it's just childhood nonsense, you know, kids being kids. And he tells him, well, that's not going to solve anything. And maybe I should talk to your mother. And Walter's like, it's not going to do you any good. You know, we've already moved once and she's not going to, she's not going to have it. But Mr. Garvey says he's, he's going to go, he's going to set up a meeting with his mother anyway. In the meantime, he's going to get back down to recess. So after Mr. Garvey leaves, we see a drawing of Tyrone, the boy who just beat him up. And Walter picks it up and starts to crumble it. And all of a sudden we hear screaming. So the next thing we see is an ambulance at the school. And uh, one of the teachers says that he, that Tyrone broke both arms and legs falling down. Must have had weak bones. <laughs> exactly. And Mr. Garvey's like, you know, did somebody shove him? And he's like, no, he just fell, sort of collapsed. So, did he fall at the same time that Mr. Garvey brushed the picture of him off of uh, Walter's desk? Oh. Did you notice that? When he walked away, that picture, he, like, he brushed it off. So, you think that landed on the floor. Yeah. And then Walter picked it up and wadded it up in the ball. I so never did he thought fall of that. Because he knocked the picture off his desk. That's a good question. Huh. You got to pay attention to this shit. <laughs> but we see Walter up in the window looking at it like, yeah, that's I right. I got you. I got you. <laughs> So later that night, Mr. Garvey shows up to Walter's house and we start seeing things through Walter's perspective a little bit. Um, kind of like, I don't know, it, it puts you in the mindset of a child. You're sitting there and you're watching all these adults talking about you behind your back and you're, well, and you I can't do anything about I it. I think we've all had that moment where you get told <laughs> when you're a kid and you get told, go to your room, the grownups are talking. Yeah. You're like, fuck y'all. You ain't talking about anything important. <laughs> you sitting here bitching about me. Go to my room. <laughs> Just let me be here and defend myself. Right. But uh, Mr. Garvey is telling Sissy about the bruises showing up on his body. and Oh, she... she's all over him up until that point, though. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to bring that up, but... <laughs> oh, no. She was throwing it at him. She's like, she answers the door, what, in a robe? Yeah. She's like, let me go put on some clothes. Yeah. And she shows up like, it's it's basically a nightgown. Well, she had she just gotten out of the shower. She didn't put on a bra. Come on, she's got company. Put a bra on. She did. <laughs> Don't tell and me you didn't notice. No, I didn't. Okay, well, I did. <laughs> like, if you got company, somebody you don't even know coming to your house, you gotta put some real clothes on. Yeah. Yeah, well, how many times have we been sitting in the living room, you know, in our underwear or something, and then somebody showed up to sell us electricity or, you know, give us a religious pamphlet or something like that? No, th those religious people don't come to our house anymore. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I kind of do that, like, duck down in the I'm floor just and roll around maneuver. That if one of the kids' <laughs> teachers showed up at our house, we are going to be properly dressed. Well, I'm just saying. She I... comes out wearing a nightgown, and she's all, hey. <laughs> well. Up until they bring up the monster thing. Right. And that's another thing. Like, if she knows that David Allinger is going to come home and kick the shit out of her, is she really going to be trying to talk to this guy? Or is she going to be like, you need to go? Yeah. Like, if you're still here when he gets here, he's going to kick my ass. you got to go. Yeah. See, I think that would be more realistic. Probably. Her acting was good. I'm not taking anything away from the performance. I just think that the way this, that, that initial interaction between the two of them mm -hmm. is suspect. Well, they, they, I don't know. In my opinion, they kind of set it up where maybe she's trying to make friends with him and maybe, you know, a cry for help. Oh, she was trying thing. to make friends all right. <laughs> But anyway, we digress. She, she's she's all about it until he brings up the monster and then she gets pissed. Yeah. Um, because she tells him, he, when he asks about the bruises, she tells him that he's just clumsy. Um, 
And then he says, well, he's also got a preoccupation with monsters. And that's where she's like, ah, shit. So she calls him down there. We've all been in this situation many times where we're like, oh, shit, what did I do? So she calls him down there and she just. I never had that. What did I do? (laughs) I never, not once when my parents were hollering for me, did I say, oh, shit, what did I do? Mine was, oh, shit, I got caught. So she grabs him very firmly by the shoulder, shaking him. She tells him, you know, like, didn't we talk about this? I told you not to be doing this anymore. And then they hear a car honk. And they both equally look up like, oh, God. And so we know somebody's there that we probably aren't going to like or should be afraid of. And Mr. Garvey's kind of like, what? You know, what's going on? And so at that point, Sissy's trying to get him out the door. Like, she's covering herself up with a sweater. See? Exactly. She's covering herself up. (laughs) She knew she was not dressed appropriately to talk to his teacher. Yeah, but we have differences of opinion on that. Anyway, but but Carl, played by David Island Greer, comes in through the door and he's he's already agitated the minute he walks in. He's like, why didn't you get the door? And who's this? Okay, I don't get that. She wants him, he wanted her to just stand there with the door open because he he honked. He was still in the damn car. Like you're supposed to stand there with the door open until he gets there? I don't know. Maybe it's like a 1950s thing. He had what, a briefcase and a jacket? His other hand didn't work. He couldn't open the door. <laughs> so she didn't lock it behind the teacher. Anyway. Well, I said, maybe it's a 1950s thing. She's, st- she's expected to open the door. Maybe it's a, he's a dick thing. Here's your glass of tea. Put your feet up. <laughs> type of situation. But he asks, who's who's this? Who's this guy? And she says, it's just one of Walter's teachers. He came over to bring homework. And Mr. Garvey's like, uh, no. I came here to talk about your son because he's having some problems. So they... Tell Walter, like, go to your room because he's been sitting on our store in the stores. <laughs> he's been sitting in the stores. He's been sitting on the stairs watching this. They tell him, go to your room. And they all go to the kitchen to have a talk. And Mr. Garvey's, uh, talk again, talking the same thing about the bruises. But more importantly, the monsters. And Walter is fascinated with one monster in particular, and he says he wants to kill him. So Carl's looking over the drawing, and he kind of plays it aloof. He's like, I'll, I'll talk to him. And Mr. Garvey's like, what? He goes, oh, you'll talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I said I'll talk to him. <laughs> yeah, he gets very scary, and that's our first, well, not our first, but kind of an early indication that, you know, this guy's bad news. Well, <laughs> Teacher, you better shut up. You figured to get hit. <laughs> like, he's fixing the knock shit out of you. You better put your attitude up, teacher man. <laughs> but he tells Sissy that she needs to show him to the door. And dude didn't even get a sip of his tea. You just like, get him out of here. No, he was like, I see how it is. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's yeah, like, you should have seen how it is when you walked in the door, guy. <laughs> Thanks for the tea. <laughs> and, I mean, he was the one giving the tea. He didn't get to get any tea. Yeah, so. The monster moved in when my daddy died. This dick Carl is clearly not this boy's daddy. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. This guy's a little slow. Yeah. (laughs) But so he leaves and he he tries to talk to Sissy again. And she's like, no, just just go. Just leave. So we get Walter up in his room. And all of a sudden we hear the monster sounds again. The twisting of the doorknob that we saw before. And Walter goes and he cowers in a corner because he he knows he's in trouble. And he comes in. And this is something I think is really cool. It shows the silhouette of Carl like having a man's body but having a monster head. And what they did was because they didn't have anything. So on the fly they used uh, the mold for Clarence Williams's uh devil head on top of his head like they had like i think it was like well they said that he just, he just held something. it up yeah 
because it's a continuous shot from Walter up to Carl. Mm-hmm. So when it when it, the camera moves away, you don't see the shadow anymore. I guess while they were shooting, Greer he just like tossed it down. Mm-hmm. So it was one smooth transition. Yeah, and it's really cool. It looks very good. It worked. But in a painfully long scene, he proceeds to beat the shit out of Walter. And then as Sissy comes in and tries to break it up, he wails on her with the belt. Very, very hard to watch. Uh, There were people that thought it was funny because he's using this, uh, what they call that, tiger punch or palm punch or something. He's hitting them with the palm of his hand instead of his fist. And people apparently thought that was funny. They're like, what kung fu school did he go to or whatever? Where'd he get his training? But uh, then he takes off his belt, one fluid motion, Indiana Jones style, and just proceeds to, yeah, just wail on her with this belt. And it's really hard to watch. And her performance is very gripping and realistic. And I kind of, I've, I've gotten better, but I used to just cry when that scene would come on. I couldn't, couldn't watch, but I've gotten better over time. And then Garvey, he starts to kind of see the shadows from his car outside, which was pure luck. That was very convenient. Well, he could hear it and he looked up. Yeah. He could hear Sissy screaming and so he looked up. Yeah. And so he runs back to the house and he's trying to stop it. And he's telling Carl, take it easy. And that just, it kind of makes me laugh a little bit. And he's like, take it easy. This is your motherfucking house. (laughs) So then he starts to beat up on Garvey. I mean, bless him. Garvey was trying, but he's, he just wasn't. He was outmatched. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what he thought he was going to roll in there and do, but it didn't work. And through Walter's perspective, you're hearing this growling, these monster noises, but it's almost at the same time like Carl has a monster strength too at the same time. Like he just seems completely larger than life. And then you get this tattoo reveal on his arm that says monster, which my kids always laugh at too because the way he says monster, monster. So (laughs) the kids think that's funny because his voice goes so high pitched. But uh, that, that goes on for a few minutes and Sissy has been trying and trying and trying to defend them and it's really sad that she's having to defend like she doesn't have what am I trying to say well she doesn't have a protector there yes and Mr. Garvey, who was supposed to be, is now getting his ass handed to him, too. Yes. So now she's got to defend herself, Mr. Garvey, and Walter. Yes. So uh, she goes after Carl with a frying pan. Big cast iron fucker, too. Like, that shit would have hurt. But Carl takes it from her, and he's about to get her with the pan. And then all of a sudden, we see his arm fold back. And we look over at Walter, and he made a crease in the paper, uh, the the drawing of the monster. Yeah. So we're like, whoa. And then he does the legs. Yes. And then he twists the paper around, causing Carl's body to twist up and spin around. And he just kind of becomes a Carl puddle. (laughs) Sort of, yeah. (laughs) He's got a random foot sticking out and (laughs) it's like twitching and moving. And it's very good work. Yeah. So it was like, it was his hand, right? Uh Still holding the frying pan. Yeah. Like, this ain't over, bitch. Yeah. (laughs) Which... Dude, you're a puddle on the ground. Give it up. <laughs> so it was his head and his hand and everything else was uh, effects. Yeah. Did you notice that the skin in the puddle, Carl, was not the same color as Carl? I did. I did. But this is 95, okay? <laughs> it, they have a makeup department. I know. But I'm. you're not ever going to convince me that Screaming Mad George can do anything wrong. You just, you can't. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Watch society and then talk to me after that, okay? Okay. So while Carl is still there talking shit, Mr. Garvey goes and he picks up the wadded piece of paper and he lights up the stove and says, Carl, you know what to do? Carl. 
He says, Walter, you know what to do. And so Walter goes and puts the piece of paper on top of the pilot and the paper burns up and they all stand and watch. And I would say, I don't know why Sissy kind of insisted <laughs> that Walter watch this, but I guess the kid's been through enough trauma in his life. A little burning man's probably not gonna well, <laughs> too I'm sure much he more. Gets some measure of satisfaction out of it. Probably. Maybe that's what she meant by it. But after this, we're back in the mortuary and we see the aftermath. What type of shit? Of our poor antagonist. So immediately upon closing the casket, because Stack does not want to look at that, (laughs) a doll falls down. And so they ask about the doll, naturally, which if they're in such a hurry, why ask about the doll in the first place? Seems like they would have just been like, oh, okay, there's a doll. Move along. But no, they start asking about the doll. And uh, Mr. Sims goes into a story about souls inhabiting dolls. And if they're bodies have been through a lot that's how this happens and so we move into our next story called kkk comeuppance we open with this very tasteless ad a politician's ad um basically bitching about um affirmative action that's what he's complaining about but it comes across much like the south park thing they took dark jobs yeah it's just it's a lame commercial yeah, it's horrible. But um, and this is how he's trying to get voters. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I'd even vote for me. I don't know. You know what? <laughs> we saw some billboards between here and Abilene when we went to see your mom. Yeah. That holy shit! I can't believe they let him put that garbage out there. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, if you're driving on I twenty. <laughs> Near Abilene, look at the billboards. They're ridiculous. We're from Texas, y'all. You probably don't have I-20 everywhere. They're not going to know what you're talking about when you say I-20. Okay. Only our Texas peeps will. If they know what I'm talking about. Well, never mind. That doesn't work. Because it could be in New Mexico, Louisiana, Arizona. No. Yeah. Never mind. If you're near Abilene, Texas, look at the billboards. Because there's a couple of them out there that are... I can't believe they let them put those up. They're cringe, to say the least. But, uh... But they are along the same lines. Yes, yes, very much along the same lines. Our story stars Corbin Burnson as Duke Medgar. Also known as the dentist. The dentist, that's right. Uh, Roger Gwenver Smith uh, as Rhodey. Art Evans as Eli. And Tom Everett as one of the image makers. And the reason I bring up Tom Everett is because he's listed in the beginning credits, but he's not listed in the end credits or on IMDb for having this part, which I feel like is a fucking travesty. And I just want to clarify, this roadie is not AKA War Machine. Different roadie. <laughs> this is not Tony Stark's buddy. Well, I believe that uh, Don Cheadle might have called Medgar out on his bullshit. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> but anyway, I was saying, I feel like it's a travesty that they didn't have Tom Everett listed anymore because he is probably one of my favorite characters in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. He plays a character named Alfredo, and he kind of sounds like that one guy in The Waterboy that you can't understand a word he says. <laughs> so I was just kind of bummed about that. But anyway, so after this this ad, um, we're, we're pulling back on this... Um, Oh, what do you call those goofy houses? It's a plantation house. Uh, plantation house. And there's a lot of press and picketers. And you see Medgar watching them. And he's he's bitching about it. He's, you know, he's he's a piece of shit, basically. And he's using a whole bunch of racial slurs and saying a bunch of uh, horrible stuff. And our image maker, uh, Rhodey, he's kind of coaching him on how to handle the media. 
media, the press, and they're going through the house and... He's just trying to teach him how to say racist shit and make it less offensive. I guess. Um, but he's also... Uh, Medgar's also giving Rhodey kind of a history of the house. And because there's a big mural on the wall of an old woman sitting in a rocking chair surrounded by dolls. And so he's asking about the mural, like, and tell him it's kind of creepy, don't you think? And he's like, well, after the election's over, I'm going to paint over the whole thing. And he tells him that when the slaves were freed, that the owner of that particular plantation house basically lost his shit and killed every slave that worked there. Hangings and burnings and, and stuff. And supposedly... The souls of those slaves are in the dolls. Now, when Rhodey asks him if he's ever seen any of the dolls, he says, you know, he tried looking for them, but he never found one. But they go on and he's trying to, to help help him answer questions. And he decides that he's going to turn the camera on himself. So he, han- well, he hands uh, Medgar the camera and says, film me and I'll tell you how to answer these questions. And so they're going through, he's answering a question and all of a sudden he falls down some stairs. Insert your Tyler Durden line here. But <laughs> he falls down some stairs and I think he snaps his neck, right? And then we go to his funeral and basically this whole story takes place in this one house except for this one scene that's the funeral and we have uh, Rusty Cundiff's dad playing the priest uh, residing over this uh, funeral and as Medgar's leaving he's got the press who start to ask these questions like are you afraid of the house and he you know he uses a line that Rhodey had given him earlier in very poor taste um, and turns it around saves himself and they leave and as he's getting into his limo to go back to his house we see a doll in the floorboard and he asks uh, the limo driver who did you let in the vehicle and he says he didn't let anybody in the vehicle so he rolls down the window throws the doll out and they drive off well later that night we start hearing what we start we get into, I guess, what is the doll's perspective. And we see it running through the woods up to the house. And we hear the little panting and stuff. And Medker is going over the video footage of the the mock interview he and uh, Rhodey were doing. And he goes over to the time where Rhodey falls down the stairs. Is this before the two scream or the after the two scream? <laughs> I'll get to that. You noticed that, right? Yes. Okay. I'll, I'll get to it. But um, when he falls, he notices in a still frame that there was a doll in the floor. The same doll that was in the limo. Now, Travis, you can... <laughs> well, so so when it was a live shot, right? When he actually fell, you hear one, huh, when he falls. Yeah. And then when he plays back the recording... It's you hear, very dramatic. You hear, what? Ah! It's yeah. like you get a normal, the, the scream that we heard when, when huh. we watched it happen. And then you get a Wilhelm scream <laughs> after. Just about. That's yeah. a very dramatic. He's like, ah, ah. Yeah, they just didn't, I don't know, maybe they didn't felt it was impactful enough the first time around. Right. But drama it up some. But this gives Medgar the creeps, obviously. And he's he's trying to call for his uh, management team after this and tell them something's wrong. And we get an, a knock at the door. Now this is, it's an old trope, you know, the person that knocks on the door at night and you answer the door and nobody's there. At well, least they, there wasn't a flaming bag of shit on the porch. <laughs> Although in this case, there should have been. Right. Or some eggs. <laughs> but um, they do that here 
but it's not this exactly the same. Like you look the doors, you, you look through the door and there's nobody there, but you hear the sound of footsteps running across the floor, which is very creepy. And Medgar sees the doll sitting on top of the stairs and he's like, you! And they begin this kind of like little cat and mouse thing for a few minutes. And he's basically going through all these horrible slurs and he finally gets a hold of the doll and he, he uh, sticks it up on a dartboard outside and shoots it with a shotgun blowing a pretty good chunk of his head off. And he goes back inside and he thinks everything's fine. Well, he goes back in and he's like, I got you. He's feeling really proud of himself. He's he's feeling very accomplished because he managed to blow a doll apart or damage one severely with a shotgun because mm-hmm. he's a big man. <laughs> but this is when he notices that there's more dolls missing, right? When he goes well, back he notices the that doll is missing. And so he freaks out and he takes flag and he starts wailing on the yeah, painting. And the painting bleeds. The, uh-huh. old, the old woman in there. And so that he, looks that looks very good. It, it did look pretty good. Yeah. I don't know it how did. they accomplished that, but they did, they did a good job. And so the doll at that point is swinging from a chandelier and jumps off and attacks him, biting him on the neck. And, um... Hey, so I'm pretty <laughs> sure we fucked up the timeline there, but let's just keep going, okay? I did. I did. I I'm sorry. Got, I think we got the old lady painting and the swinging from the chandelier thing and the shotgun thing mixed up. Yeah, I totally did. I'm sorry, guys. You're just going to have to just roll with me. Just watch the movie. <laughs> Yeah, watch the movie. <laughs> At any rate, he the doll comes back and he fixes his head. He puts his head back on, right? And so he, he starts to, like, lunge after him again. And Duke's trying to load his shotgun, which is also a funny thing, too. Okay, he does load the shotgun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't, okay, I don't understand this. I learned how to hunt using a side-by-side double-barrel shotgun. It's the easiest gun in the world to load. How do you screw that up? I would screw it up. In one shot, you can see the brass sticking out. Like, he didn't thumb the shell in all the way. Uh Uh-huh. Which, it's not a bullet, it's a shell. Shotgun shells, other firearms fire bullets. Just saying. Yeah. So, and then the next shot, it's empty. (laughs) Yeah. Like, how do you screw that up? So he runs back into to the his office and and slams the door shut but you can see the doll like trying to force the door open which that that's a strong doll but he stops and i would quote a movie what? right now what i can't do it <laughs> don't tell us you're gonna do it and then not do it no you need to watch clerks too Anyway. Okay. Anyway, so then Medgar notices that there's more dolls missing. Or actually, I think it's all the dolls at this point. All the dolls are missing from this painting, except the old woman. And he starts to, you know, freak out. Oh my God, oh my God. And then he starts hearing little tiny voices behind him. And he turns around and there's like a whole horde of these dolls. Okay, wouldn't it have been better if they'd all been like Chucky and been talking shit while they were chomping on him? I don't know. I find it scarier just like they're little chittering amongst themselves. Okay, but I think it would have been funny if they'd have been talking shit while they were doing it. (laughs) Maybe. Like, I'm fixing to get you, motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, they needed, needed, uh, what's it, Brad Dorf to voice one of them. (laughs) would have been hilarious. I don't think that would work. Brad Dorf did an African-American doll. Okay. Okay. You got me. Ice cube. That would work. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, you know what? It would have been, might have been really cool. I'm going back to the first story, but wouldn't it have been funny if when Morehouse like sprung out of the ground, if they just fucked the police started playing as he's going and knocking off all these guys. Okay. It's odd that you bring that up because at the end, you know, where the, the cop gets melted into the graffiti, uh-huh. I thought that looks like that should be NWA cover art. Right. Um, anyway, we're that, getting way off topic. 
But I just think it would have been funnier if they had been, I don't know, talking. I don't know. That's the reason I can't really get down with Michael Myers and Jason because they don't talk. Like at least, at least Chucky entertains me, and at least <laughs> Freddy entertains me. At least they're going to tell you why they're going to kill you. Well, I like the strong, silent type. So <laughs> I like it when they talk shit. Anyway, keep going. Anyway, so Medgar at this point does the funniest shit in this whole thing is that he grabs this flag to try to try to protect himself. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, what good is that gonna do? So you think America's like, gonna protect him for being a douchebag? I don't I don't know. It's like you think this little uh, sheet of fabric is gonna protect you from a bunch of tiny little mouths? And at that point you gotta think that it's like a piranha type situation where if you have one, it's probably gonna hurt, but it's not gonna, you know, do anything to kill you but if you get the swarm on you they're just gonna pick him clean almost you know just right yeah but it's like sticking a bunch of piranhas on a cow you know is the best analogy i can come up with but then you see that the the old mother grandmother disappears from the painting too and is sitting in the rocking chair now with the doll in her lap and they're watching as carnage ensues and the old woman is played by rusty kind of smother so i thought it was cool that he had his he incorporated his parents into this story it's that really cool. yeah that, that's probably one of the better ways i've seen a family member cut in by a writer slash director whatever yeah because usually they're cheesy yeah but this one was good yeah so that's the end of that story we just hey, hear so and it, screaming. I'm, I'm sorry i'm a little slow it took me a long time to catch this every time I've watched this. I've watched that segment and I thought, shit, that's based on something. I just can't place it. Uh-huh. Like, who is that guy? Uh-huh. And I finally figured out who this story absolutely has to be based on. It's, it's David Duke. Mm-hmm. He was that uh, neo-Nazi that was elected for the House of Representatives in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a, I think Medskirt is a name from somebody too, but I can't, I can't place it right now. Well, I don't know about the name. I'm just, the fact that you've got basically a racist piece of shit running for office. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yep. Okay. I finally, it took me a minute, but I finally caught up. Right. <laughs> So we're back in the uh, mortuary again. And this time our guys are, they're they are aggravated. Like they may even be past the point of aggravated. They're very impatient. And okay, they're... Look, these guys have killed people, right? Or at least you get that impression. Yeah. At what point would they have said, screw this. We're just going to kill this old guy and find the drugs ourselves. Right. Like, I, I feel mean, like that would have already happened. If it was me, and I'm not saying I'd ever do it, but if it's me, I'm just going to kill the person and hunt the house down. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems more effective that way. And, and these guys, like, I don't even, even if it's just Bulldog, like maybe not the other two. Yeah. But Bulldog's clearly the aggressive one. Uh-huh. It seems like he would have just shot him already. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. You know, or been like beating him up. Yeah. I don't know. They just, these three guys don't strike me as like the patient type. Yeah. Anyway. But they're like, we're over your stories. We're, that's not why we came here. Let's just get our shit and go. But Stack comes upon another body and he's like, you guys are not going to believe this. And they get over there and Sims is like, did you know him? And two of them are like, yeah. And Bulldog's like, no. He's now, just... We saw him in the neighborhood. Yeah, he's just somebody we've seen around. And um, Sims is like, yeah, he was involved with the shit. You know, he got himself involved in the shit. And so we go into our final story, uh, Hardcore Convert, starring Lamont Bentley as Crazy K and Rosalind Cash in her final film role as Dr. Cushing, which I can only imagine was taken from uh, the character in the Amicus movies, which uh, our writer was a big fan of. Okay, I thought this whole story was taken from the Stanley Kubrick movie. 
<laughs> Clockwork Orange. That's what it is. It's Clockwork Orange. The difference is, is that you're, I would say, protagonist, but Malcolm McDowell wasn't a protagonist anyway. Right. Like, they're both, the antagonist is the main character in, in uh-huh. both instances, where Malcolm McDowell's character was eventually reformed, and this one does not. Right. But so this, this this segment does draw out some interesting points, though. It really does. I would say of the four, this one's probably the, I don't want to say heavy handed, but it's obviously trying to drive a point home. And the director has said he had a lot of people come up to him and say, look, I quit quit the life just because of this short. And that's that really says so something. They, they, they spend quite a bit of time in this segment, but I think that they could have narrowed it down to one scene that you'll, you'll get to in a minute. And that five minute exchange four-minute exchange between Crazy K and, and the other character, that says it all mm-hmm. pretty much right there. Like, that's the whole, that's that whole thing just in a, in a very compact thing. And I think that was probably the most impactful portion of this, what do you call it, vignette or whatever, mm-hmm. this this story. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This is, I don't know how I feel about this one, honestly. Yeah. I, I just feel like it went on for too long. It's like the added content for the sake of adding content when really one conversation summed up the point that I feel like they were trying to drive home. Well, again, I think that that and scene probably that you're talking about was, again, to make the audience uncomfortable. Well, it does make you uncomfortable. It's it's. But it, that's the point, is that the whole message that it feels like they're driving towards in this is summed up in that one conversation. Mm-hmm. But there's all the stuff on the front and all the stuff on the back mm-hmm. that you really could have done without. Like, you could have just had more of that. Mm-hmm. That more of that conversation, mm-hmm. and it would have been probably more impactful than some of the stuff that happens before or after. But anyway, so our character Crazy K, um... who shaves the special K <laughs> symbol on their forehead. <laughs> Who does that? Well, it wasn't his forehead. It's the well, it's in his hair. Okay, but the guy's hairline starts about half an inch above his eyebrows. So it's no, his... it does not. So, <laughs> who's, like, who would shave a K into their head? I don't know. <sighs> like, that's the least gangster thing you could do. Anyway. Anyway. That's just like you got a bad haircut. That's like your barber's fucking with you right there. Like, if it had been on the back, that would have been even better. Like, does he know? <laughs> does he know it's back there? Anyway, our character, Crazy K, he's driving around town at night listening to one of my favorite songs, uh, Born to Die by Spice One. And he sees somebody he knows and proceeds to chase him down. And he gets out of his car after getting to this guy's house and guns him down in his front yard. And then we see three guys silhouetted in the dark running toward him and they then shoot him. So here's the thing. They're only silhouetted if you're watching it on VHS. If you're watching it in HD, you can tell exactly who those three guys are. I don't know if the the lighting is different when they remastered or whatever it was, but you can tell exactly who those three guys yes, are. Yes, you HD can, version. unfortunately. Anyway, but I tell. remember the first time I watched it, and I couldn't. I mean, maybe it's just me. I mean, I was a kid, so but I couldn't tell who it was. Well, even that coincidence. These three guys found him in the mortuary. They know who he is. Three guys seem to be the ones that killed him. Right. I wonder what happened. I also had my mom, who cannot keep her mouth shut during a movie, going, can you tell who it is? Can you tell who these guys are? And I'm oh like, God. uh... No, we've tried watching movies with your mother. <laughs> so... You'll know how it ends in the first five minutes of the movie. <laughs> right. And my sister always wants to know how it ends the first five minutes of the movie. But anyway, so these guys shoot Crazy K multiple times and from somehow nobody hears that this whole swad of cops have showed up. So here's the deal. It's not like the cops showed up while they were shooting. Uh-huh. I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they weren't wearing ear protection. Uh-huh. Maybe their ears were ringing really bad and they couldn't, they didn't know when 15 squad cars with their lights on showed up behind them. <laughs> and uh, one of our cops is played by 
the writer, Darren Scott, and they shoot down the three guys, shoot him down and shows them dying and looks like Crazy K has been saved. And he even says it. He's like, saved by the motherfucking cops. So we span, we have a time jump four years and Crazy K has been locked up and we meet Dr. Cushing and she gets a summary of Crazy K's past and says, he'll do. So we as the audience don't know what he'll do for, but we're going to find out. So she goes to his cell and says, how would you like to be released early? sitting in his underwear (laughs) yeah um which that's a choice right he's in his own his own space and he's doing sit-ups in his boxer shorts but at least yeah i was gonna say at least at this point it's just boxers (laughs) so after the initial part where he jumps after after the part where he gets shot this is the most clothes he wears through the whole movie right (laughs) so she asks him how would he like to be released and he calls bullshit but she says if he goes through behavioral modification that he can be released so he agrees to it and then they take him on transport up to a house that looks very much like the house in House and Haunted Hill I mean it's not the same house but it's up on a hill and it's lit so they he starts they lead him through and he starts kind of getting a lay of yeah, the land, so in, to speak. By the time he gets there, he's wearing a G-string. No, not yet. Not at this point. Pretty close. <laughs> no, he's wearing... Oh, no, the cocksock comes later. <laughs> gotcha. But as he's walking through, he sees these bodies in bags getting wheeled by, and he gets this look on his face like, oh, shit. Okay, let me just stop. <laughs> Who walks a prisoner through the thing in their underwear? I, I don't know. I, I mean, don't get it. <laughs> Like, there's no jumpsuit. There's no, like, you're just going to walk this guy around. Yeah. Like, in his drawers and barefoot. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. Like, I can't get past that. Why is the dude in his drawers in every shot? I don't know. All right. Maybe to show Maybe to show us what great shape he was in. I don't know. Well, the dude was in good shape, but still. <laughs> but anyway, they throw him into a very tiny cell. It looks like the size of a large dog kennel. And Well, he can't even stand up in it. No, he's just like crouched down in there. But they have stuck him next to a white supremacist and... He's basically going on a spill about uh, wanting to recruit him. So without getting into the whole thing, because there's a lot of the crap that he says that I don't care to repeat. Mm-hmm. He basically thanks Crazy K for killing black people. Yeah. I mean, doing his job for him. Yeah. That's basically what he does. And then, he, yeah, he tries to recruit him. Yeah, because he, he asks him, he's like, those guys you killed, what color were they? Yeah. And Crazy K has to stop and think about it like, oh shit. Like he hadn't, he that thought never entered his mind. Right. And that's the most, I don't want to say repentant. That you see him in the whole movie because he's not really. Mm-hmm. But like that's the only time the light bulb comes on. Yeah. And that's the moment I was talking about that conversation right there. Mm-hmm. That feels like that was the message for this short. Mm-hmm. And that was the most impactful part of the short. Mm-hmm. It All the other stuff was just noise. Yeah. About you need to come together instead of tearing each other apart from yeah, the I just, inside. I feel like a lot of the other underwear shots could have gone away. <laughs> I think I'm starting to think those just made you uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. <laughs> it just felt unnecessary. Okay, so, you you know, what was it? The Halloween remake. At the end, where's that dude and that chick and they're having sex for 15 minutes? You mean Friday the 13th remake? Yeah, whatever. It, it sucked. 
But <laughs> you know what you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. It just felt unnecessary, didn't it? Yeah. I same apples thing. and oranges to me. No, it's the no. same thing. It was just an unnecessary thing that they added in there. How many how many horror films have you sat through where there's some chick wearing itty bitty panties or little bitty t shirt and yes, it's unnecessary. It doesn't do anything for the plot, but it's just a thing, I guess. I wasn't bothered by it at all, except for when I was a kid, then I was kinda like, um I okay. I'm seeing way more of him than I need to see. Maybe I Maybe I picked a bad example. I guess the thing is, is if you're going to do it in a slasher, that's one thing because nobody really cares much about the plot anyway. Uh-huh. You want to be scared. That's the point. But in, in something like this where you're trying to drive home a point, it feels like you should cut out the surplus. Hmm. Does that make sense? I, I guess. Like I don't if you're trying see to drive any surplus. Home, but... Then that needs to be it. This is the point. So I think what we can get from this is that this... This next few minutes made Travis very uncomfortable, as well as it did me, as it should anybody. And I think that was the point. But, or Travis had a real big problem looking at this guy's junk for a while. (laughs) But anyway, so I wish I could remember the name that they had for the machine they strap him onto. It was a gyro. It looks like a torture table. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, they call it a, I don't know, bullshit name. Yeah, I can't remember. But they strap him down to it. And they put the dick clamp on. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I don't, why did he need a clamp there? I don't know. Like, we're fixing to show you pictures of people getting murdered. Are you afraid that's going to do it for you? And they put on these big, like, rubber kitchen gloves on him. No, it's like the gloves you put on when you're going to check a cow that's pregnant. They go up to his shoulder. (laughs) How do you know this stuff? Come on. I'm a farm boy. I'm telling you. (laughs) If you've ever been an ag, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but uh, and they put like electrodes on the tips of these rubber gloves. What the fuck is that going to do? This is a rubber glove. I guess to check his vitals. How? It's a rubber glove. I don't. This is going to check shit through a rubber glove. I don't know. And they uh, put a they put a Marcellus Wallace style ball gag in his mouth. No, it's and, like the ball from the Phantasm minus the spike. <laughs> yeah. And they pump him full of this uh, green liquid. And Crazy K tells Dr. Cushing he's going to fuck her up real good after this. You know this. what that shit reminded me of? What? It was a medicine they used to get when I was a kid. I don't remember what it was, but they called it grasshopper juice. You remember that? <laughs> no, I was thinking Vicks 44. Like, you had the red variety and you had the green variety. Oh, God, it was nasty. <laughs> it was terrible. That's what it looks like, though. <laughs> yeah. We anyway. could, we go on forever about awful childhood medicines, but we will not. He tells her he's going to fuck her up real good, and she's like, I don't think so. But she wants him to take a look at something. And then we cue back up, Spice One's born to die. And this machine, this rack that he's on, starts spinning, like, really fucking fast. And he's got, like, this big metal viewfinder over his eyes. It's like one of those Viewmaster things that had the little plastic wheels that you put in and you yeah. match the... Yeah. Except it doesn't show anything. It doesn't show anything. Any it, cute you don't get fuzzy animals in there. Yeah, no. He instead he gets some of the most graphic, sad butchery I've ever seen it, in my it life. It shows real photos of racial persecution. We'll yes, call it that. Um, and they were real photos. They got them what from Baylor University. Some of them came from Baylor. Here in Texas. I thought that. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. It doesn't surprise me that some of them came from Texas, but but it's a lot of really graphic imagery, and it has no impact on him whatsoever. Uh, I don't know if it doesn't have any, but I don't know that he's the type of guy that would ever admit to it. Do you know what I mean? He but, doesn't own his actions at any point through this. Thing. Right. It's um, all somebody else's. Fault. Even if even if he did, he's gonna throw up that smoke screen that he's not you know it's somebody else's fault but these images are intercut with more modern depictions of gang violence and like I said it goes on for the whole song just about and I also have to comment 
that Christopher Young's score throughout this is just amazing. Those who know his work know that he did music for Hellraiser, uh, I guess would be what he's the most famous for, but he has done some great, great work and in this movie in particular. And once we get done with this scene, he then goes into a sensory deprivation chamber. Yeah, they don't give this guy any breaks. They take him from one medieval torture to another. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen a sensory deprivation tank in person, but this does not look anything like any of the other ones that I've seen on... Okay, this doesn't look like the one in Altered States. We'll just go there. Right, it's like a big water tank or... Yeah, it's like Steel water, water tank, yeah. This is just a big hole in the ground, and they strap him to an electric chair and lower him in there. Right. It's not really an electric chair, but that's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And they go on with some light strobing, and it's kind of... You think they asked him if he had epilepsy or anything before they put him in there? <laughs> they ask him if he was photosensitive? Maybe. I, I guess they would have had to. Well, shit out of luck if they didn't ask first. He yeah. would have been in trouble. But it is kind of jarring, but it I, I think it helps the effect of what they're doing is that they're showing him people that he's killed over the years. Um, so I would just like to go ahead and point out, though, that the whole point of a sensory deprivation chamber is that, like, the temperature around you is the same as your body temperature. You can't see anything. You can't hear anything. Hence, sensory deprivation. Well, she says everything that he's going to see and hear is coming from his own mind. There's nothing in there. Everything that's projecting is from his own mm. mind. Um, she said the mind will have nothing to feed upon but itself. Ah. Um, so he starts seeing these people that he's killed over the years, including a little girl who caught a stray bullet through her wall. He says bullet ain't got a name on it. <laughs> Yeah, but it's really sad. And he's starting to get aggravated. And Dr. Cushing's like, are are they telling you stuff you don't want to hear? And he's getting upset. He's blaming basically the world for how he turned out. He doesn't want to own up to any of his actions. And she's begging him at this point, like, you're not going to get another chance. The, the closest thing to repentance that you or whatever that you see from him is she says something about a nightmare and he says what about my nightmare mm-hmm. I guess growing up the way he did and he said so now I'm the nightmare right so basically he's he is blaming his actions it being a product of his environment he he mm-hmm. he's blamed everybody else none of this is his fault mm-hmm. it doesn't matter that it was his choices or anything like that and then you get to the end and he's like I don't give a fuck Mm-hmm. That he just keeps repeating that over and over again. Yeah. And then we we pan out and we see those three guys from before that had gunned him down and said, we don't give a fuck either, motherfucker, and just start laying into him with the with, uh, bullets. And this time we he dies and we find out that this was all a dream or maybe it was some type of purgatory. It was like a near-death experience followed by actual death. And we go back to the mortuary and Mr. Sims is saying, I don't think you can rehabilitate those types. You just kill them. And at this point, he starts getting guns pointed at him in every direction. And these guys are like, you've been fucking with us this whole night. What? What? You knew it was us that killed him. And then we see the reveal that those three guys are these three guys. And, you know, like we said, you kind of as an audience already know that. It's not some big revelation or anything. If you're watching it on DVD, you know (laughs) who it is. Yeah. But if you were my ass watching it at 16 years old, you went, If you're watching it on some shitty rental VHS that's been played 300 (laughs) times, you can't tell who they are. It's just three shapes. Right. So now they're they're fed up. They're like, we want the shit right now. And Bulldog makes him lead them to where the drugs are. So we're going down and you start noticing little weird stuff. Um, he's going through and he's lighting bulbs with just his finger. And that for me would be red flag number and one. these guys are following him and they never noticed. Right. That he's just touching the light bulbs and they're coming on. Do do. The poopy pop. They're going to get 
So they get led into a room where they think that the drugs are. And it turns out that it's a bunch of those sign-in books from when you go to a funeral. So now they're plum pissed. And Bulldog pistol whips Sims in the back of the head to where he... He just hurt. So he, he gets really, really fucking mad. Like, I can't even express how mad he is. He's just dripping crazy at this <laughs> <Yeah>. point. <laughs> but he goes into another room where there are three coffins. And he says, it's in the coffins. Where else would I hide it? So these stupid asses are like, Woo, we're going to get the shit. <laughs> and they go in there and I think it's stacked. That's like, I better not open this up and find another dead motherfucker. And when he opens the lid, sure enough, he sees another dead motherfucker. It just so happens to be him. And then Ball opens up his and sees his body in there too. And then Bulldog also op- opens his and sees a wax finds model. A wax museum <laughs> display. So I think if you see the others, it never shows them with their body in the casket in the same frame. Right. So it probably was them laying in the casket. I think he's the only one where it shows him standing next right to, next to his it. body. So yeah. I guess, you know, he can't be in two places at the same time. But it is clearly a dummy. Yeah. So they start freaking out and, you know, what's going on? And he says, after you killed Crazy K, a few of his boys killed you. I guess you didn't make it. And they're like, no, I'm not hearing this. I'm not hearing this. And then he's like, what are you trying to say? We're dead, motherfucker. And he's fairy, <laughs> which I can't do it justice, but it's great. And they're like, well, if we're so dead, what are we doing in a funeral home with your crazy ass? And then he tells them this ain't no funeral home. And they just, all three of them come over with complete terror. And he says, Welcome to hell, motherfuckers. And about that time, you get this little pink CG tongue out of the space of his the gap in his front teeth. which Best use of a Letterman <laughs> gap I've ever seen. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then he starts to transform into Satan. And the work here is astronomical. It's just, it's, it's amazing. Well, now, he hated the makeup, right? Yes, he did. And so they just went with the Was face Like six or eight hours. Arms. Yeah. And the rest of it is not him. Like right. It's a, it's a dummy or something. Yeah, he just like stepped into it and put his head in like one of those cardboard cutout Yeah, but things. apparently he hated the whole makeup process. Process. Yeah. Which it, here's the deal. It's Clarence Williams. They could have stuck like glued some horns onto his forehead and he still would have been scary as hell. Right. But nonetheless, the monster is is amazing. And I got to tell you, the first time I saw it, I just about shit myself. Like, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I appreciated the fact that it wasn't your typical devil. Yeah. You know what I mean? It wasn't Tim Curry from Legend. Yeah. Well, if you if you look at the drawings, the the concept art for this, they made him almost look like a big tree, you know. And some of the drawings are amazing. If um, I have the uh, the Scream Factory edition Blu-ray, and they show him like looking like a big tree, and there was like a, another thing where they had this concept of a mouth in his stomach with a bunch of sharp teeth, and I couldn't tell if. I think they got left out of the last um, version. It worked out the way they did it. Yeah, but it looked so good. Like, it really, really looked so good. And enough that, like I said, it scared me. Travis and I, growing up in religious families and stuff, this is just your ultimate punishment, you know, to find out you've you've lived this terrible life and now you're going to burn in hell for eternity. So that was something for me as a kid that really stuck with me. I couldn't shake it for days after watching it. And I think ultimately that's what made me so scared of this movie to begin with. Now, as an adult, it's all the real world shit, obviously, that scares me the most. Not so much the religious aspect of it. But at the time, I can remember just really being terrified of that end. So yeah, these guys are kind 
kind of burning in hell and we we fade out. So let's talk about burning in hell. <laughs> Did you see how they were burning? In CG flames? It was so bad. Oh, I thought it was fine. Okay, two of them looked at like they were at a rave. <laughs> And uh, what's his name? Ball? It was the one in the middle? Yeah. It looked like an emo kid dancing. <laughs> Sorry. It's just, it was so bad. Uh, but we, we roll into our credits and I watch, every time I watch this movie, I watch all the credits because this movie has the most kick-ass soundtrack. I love it. it it's on my phone. I listen to it a lot. But uh, yeah, guys, that's, that's, that's it. I think we're going to wrap it up. Yes! So Travis, final thoughts on the film? It, it's not a bad movie, right? It's not for me. It's not my... I'm just not an anthology guy, mm-hmm. I guess. If they'd have made... Like, if they'd have taken the first one with the cops in it and made a whole movie out of that, I'm good. If they'd have taken the one with David Allen Greer and made a whole movie out of that, I'm good. I probably could have done without the one with the dolls in it. If they'd... You know, I don't know. Even Crazy K. If they had had a little more content and a little less underwear, <laughs> more clothes, <laughs> I probably could have watched a whole movie on that. But when you make shorts out of them, that, I feel like it loses something. Mm. So you should definitely watch it. But it's not, the rewatch value is not very high for me. Mm -hmm. What about you? Well, I would say the opposite. I've watched this movie probably a hundred times. Not literally, but I've watched it at least a dozen times in the last few years. It's one now that, yeah, I used to be scared of it, but now I can put it on to do some really cool shit like work and laundry and stuff. But I love it. It's It's almost a security blanket for me at this point. It's one of those comfort movies. I would say if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out um but stop there <laughs> but definitely they, stop they there. did make a sequel <laughs> and it's got keith david in it and he's fantastic he was in the thing he's in a ton of other movies they live and if you want to see a keith david movie pick any movie other than tales from the hood too because it's pretty awful he did great but the movie's not good listen one man can't make that movie good <laughs> Like, he did good. He did exactly what he was supposed to do, but it's still a shit movie. And I will say that part three got slightly better. They made a third one? You remember? They had Tony Todd in that one. Oh. Apparently not. Well, it didn't make an impression on you, obviously. (laughs) To me, it was... was... Same thing. If you want to see Tony Todd, watch Candyman. (laughs) It was a little bit better than part two. Like, they tried to get back with a more serious tone. It's still not very good, though. But, yeah, absolutely check the movie out if you've never seen it before. And if you you have then watch it again and again and again because or you, not because you love that shit <laughs> or watch it once a year <laughs> maybe so that about does it i'm gonna give a quick shout out to our content creator of the week um now doing my research for this movie i came across a channel on youtube called prim's hood cinema that's p-r-i-m-m apostrophe s hood cinema and the guy gave a hilarious rundown of this movie and travis and i of course went down the rabbit hole and had to watch every other video that he made so this guy if you're looking for a a beat by beat type of review this ain't it no (laughs) um it's it's almost like mystery science theater yeah but the guy's funny he's hilarious definitely check him out yeah so i guess we're gonna say adios and be sure to come back next week when we talk about the it's called deathgasm You haven't done your homework. (laughs) Metal up your ass. Yeah. That was terrible. I love this movie. (laughs) I was trying to think of what year it came out in and and I just loved it. It's another New Zealand movie. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's right. This will be the second one. 
right? The second movie from New Zealand that we've done. Right. So they've got some comedy chops down there. See, they know how to do horror in New Zealand. They know how to do a horror comedy because this is definitely it. So if you're one of those folks that wants to know what kind of movie it is and so you know how you should watch it, it is a horror comedy. If you walk into it thinking it's a serious horror movie, you're going to be disappointed. So just go in, be ready to laugh at it. And you can find it on Shudder if you have a Shudder subscription. Um, The last drive-in with Joe Bob, he does a pretty good episode of it. Um, if not, watch watch the movie on its own on Prime. It's terrific. So we'll see you next week, guys. I actually recommend oh. watching the movie and then watch it with Joe Bob. It's better that way. Okay. Watch it twice, back to back. <laughs> anyway, that's all for me. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye. Hey, Ashley. So what would people do if they're enjoying the show and they want to leave us a review? You'd review the show on your favorite platform, but that's just me. But who are you? I'm SpookyMom83. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm not going to direct you to Facebook because I hate it. (laughs) And I guess that makes me TravisL80 on Twitter. Just don't expect a lot. Yeah, you're not really big on the social stuff. I'm socially inept. That's true. But if you guys want to reach out, tell us what your favorite movie is, got any requests, any questions, stuff like that. You know, they can just stop in and say hi. They can just stop in and say hi. I will say hi. 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 Hello there. (laughs) But seriously, guys, feel free to reach out to us on all of our social media platforms. So they can kind of just stop in for whatever they want. And tell Travis why he's the better of the two, obviously. Please. Please do that. (laughs) Till next time, guys. Later. Bye.